For our reading this evening, let's turn to the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Uh, uh, it's for uh, the director of music and it's of David. I'm going to read all 24 verses of Psalm 139. It says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be too dark for you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to hear you speak to us. Well, we're so grateful for that. And we pray now as we come around this psalm together that you would give us listening ears, that you would take distractions from us. Lord, we pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder, what is your God like? What is your God like? And by that, I mean, how would you describe the God that you believe in? Or if you would say that you don't believe in God, then an equally a valid question is then how do you describe that God that you don't believe in? 
It's a good question to ask that friend who says they don't believe in God. But whoever we are, all of us have an answer to that kind of question. There are many versions of God and what he is like out uh, there and maybe even in your own mind uh, this evening. Maybe you think of God as that kind of old grandfather figure up in the sky. He's a gentle pushover. He looks after us. He gives us what we ask him when we do that. And one day uh, he'll welcome us into his palace in the sky. Or maybe you think of God as an angry dictator. He doesn't want you to enjoy your life. He wants you to keep some rules and have no fun. And you think that the idea of God is just there to keep humanity in check. Could go on, but you get the idea. There are many caricatures of God. But friends, I want to say to you this evening that if you think in such a a way like that, well, you won't find a God like that described in the Bible. But maybe that's a part of the problem. Maybe you don't claim to have any kind of personal relationship with God because even though you've never read much of the Bible, you might have never really read any of it. But nevertheless, you've decided what God is like. Your idea of God comes from your own thinking, no matter how little you've thought about it. And it comes from what others have said in that book you once read or in some video you've seen online or social media. And not from what God says about himself. So could you imagine if someone came to an opinion on you, if they'd never met you? To imagine if you met someone and they weren't very nice to you, because they'd come to a judgment simply on who you are because they'd seen your profile on Facebook or on Twitter. Or what about if you went for a job interview and you, uh, you didn't even get the chance? You'd want your potential employers to, to read your CV, to look through your application form, to investigate the claims that you're making about why you're suitable for the job. But they don't consider any of that. They don't even want to meet you. They come to a conclusion on you. You'd feel hard done by, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be unfair if you were disregarded without the the company at least giving you a chance? Well, if that's what you'd expect from a potential employer, isn't it at least consistent then to, to do the same with God? Isn't it only fair to spend some time looking into what the God of the Bible really says about himself as he reveals himself to us in his words? That's always worthwhile doing. But I want to encourage you this evening, friends, that I want to say there's no better time than right now to seriously consider who the one true God, the God of the Bible, really is. And that's because we're living in a, in a time when there are many questions that are hanging over our world uh, this evening. Earlier this month, the former Prime Minister and now current Foreign Secretary, David Cameron, said this, It is hard to remember a more unstable dangerous and uncertain world. He also said that the red lights on the global dashboard are very much flashing, by which he meant that we currently, on the global stage at least, are in the middle of the bigger set of crises for a generation, if not longer. We could go back a hundred years or so to other big crises, but in this generation and maybe the one before, maybe it's as bad as it's been in a a little while. There's ongoing wars in Ukraine this evening. In the Middle East, we prayed for some of those things, those increased hostilities in in Yemen, the firing of missiles in countless countries in the last couple of weeks, in Iran and Iraq and in Syria, in Pakistan, in Lebanon and Israel and Gaza, and on the list goes. 
And we might be sitting here this evening thinking we're distanced from those things. But there's tensions about something bigger going on, being dragged into things. The cost of living at the very least is, is hit by disrupted trade links. And all of that is to say we're living in uncertain times, a very uncertain world. And maybe there are real uncertainties in your own life this evening. Things that leave you unsettled and worried and anxious about the future when living in such times, it can lead us to, to question things, can't it? To ask if there is something or someone out there that is bigger than us. If there is a God out there, then what is he like? How can we know what he's like? Well, friend, I want you to turn with me this evening to Psalm 139. We'll turn there tonight and we'll turn there next Sunday night as well. Well, I want us to get a snapshot of what the one true living God is really like. I want us to see his uniqueness and his majesty. I want us to see his power and his authority, his compassion and his love. I want you to come and see how wonderful he is. As he reveals himself to us here in his word. And it's, it's my prayer that as a result of our time in this psalm over the next two Sundays, we'll be really clear on who the Lord God Almighty is. That it might refresh you and encourage you to hear again of how great your God is. And that you will trust him and him alone and that you'll be able to face this week to come and whatever the uncertain future holds in the weeks to come with a sure and a certain hope in a rock-solid, dependable God. So do turn with me to Psalm 139. Someone once called it the crown of all psalms. And even if you've got another psalm that's a favourite of yours, then hopefully you'll agree that this means it's a good one. This psalm is absolutely stunning because it shows us one man's very personal awareness of God. And you might not even realise it this evening, but that's what all of us need. That's what all of us need. We need a personal awareness of God, of this God. You and I were made to know God, to know the one who made us. And as we come to his word uh, now, he can meet with you wherever you are. And so we come to a psalm written by David, a king of Israel. He lived about 3,000 years or so ago. And despite its age, it continues to, to demonstrate the power and the care of the Lord. And we'll do that by seeing four truths about uh, the one true living God that David personally knew. Two this evening, then come back next week for the next two. But I trust that this will really encourage us who already know him. And for those of us yet who, who aren't trusting in the Lord, it will show us who he really is and that he is the only one. We will ever find true rest and true hope in whatever our circumstances and whatever might come our way. And so then the first truth about the, the one true living God that I want us to grasp is this, that God is all knowing. God is all knowing. And we see that in verses one to six. These verses speak of how God knows all things. There is nothing that God does not know. There is not one thing in this whole universe that he has made which he doesn't know. He's completely aware of everything. He knows all things at all times. If he was to tell us how many stars there were in the universe or how many grains of sand there were down on Rosilli Beach, he wouldn't have to count them all quickly like some kind of supercomputer. He would simply know the answer. It will be right there. Our God knows the end from the beginning. All things are in his hands. God 
is all-knowing. And yet what is so striking about this is that it goes deeper than that. This isn't simply a case of God knowing every single fact about the universe. It's not just that he's got all the data. But his full knowledge is personal. It's active. And that's what we see in Psalm 139. As we read it a little earlier, did, did you see those words that communicate this truth to us, even in these opening three verses, speaking of the, the perfect knowledge that God has of us? David says of the Lord, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. <clears throat> the knowledge of God is relational. The Lord knows his own. So again, just consider verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Wow. The maker of the universe knows me, knows you. Isn't it mind-blowing that the Lord God Almighty knows every single move that we've made today? Or, or lack of movement on, on, a, on a Sunday, maybe. He knows what moves we make, what moves we're yet to make before the day is done. When we sit down, when we stand up, wherever we go, anywhere, when we lie down, he knows. And he knows where we are this evening. He knows that we are listening to him speak to us through his word. The Lord knows all things. Not only does the Lord know all of our doings, he knows all our thoughts. Verse 2, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows what you've thought this week. And he knows what you're thinking right now. All our thoughts are open before him. There is nothing that we can do to hide from him. Even though you might think that nobody else will know those secret thoughts that you've had and you've never shared them with anyone. Well, the Lord God Almighty does. He knows all things. And he even knows what you're going to say before you say it. Or you even think to say it before a word leaves your mouth. Before a word is on your tongue. Verse 4. The Lord knows what you will say. He knows you through and through. He knows you better than you know yourself. All of this is only something that God can do. Nobody else can claim to do this. There's only one God, and he is mighty. He knows all things. That's what we're seeing here. The Lord really is all-knowing. In verse 2, all our thoughts. In verse 3, all our ways. In verse 4, all our words. Not one thing is missed by the Lord. Not one thing is he unsure of. He knows all of us here the ceiling with a perfect knowledge. Indeed, he has a perfect knowledge of all of humanity. And what is particularly important about this psalm is that while it is absolutely true that the Lord knows every detail about all of us, no matter who we are, this psalm, remember, is being written by David. He is a believer in the Lord. And that's important because this is speaking of a personal level of relationship that David knew with his God. He knows that the Lord knows him. Through and through, which is a source of great comfort to him. And it should also be to you as well this evening, Christian. Your father knows. It's as simple as that. He knows all things. 
He knows exactly what it is you're going through at the moment. He knows you. This psalm, it also declares that God is the divine judge. We'll see that uh, next week. But David is not afraid of the Lord. He knows that he is righteous and good. He knows that the Lord has searched him and knows him. He knows that God is all-knowing. And I realize that if you're not a follower of Jesus this evening, then this might be causing you to fear because you're now realizing that God knows all those things that you've said and done every single thought, which you thought no one else knew about. You're realizing that he's seeing your sin. He knows all about it. Maybe the Spirit is convicting you of that this evening, friend. And that is something you must not dismiss. But the tenor of this psalm is one where if you're trusting trusting in the Lord, who knows all things as David was, then the fact that God knows your deepest, darkest secret is nothing to fear. Christians aren't afraid of the great divine judge of the universe because the Lord is the one in whom David the psalmist and indeed all of God's people have found an eternal protection. And as a matter of fact, verses 5 and 6 show us that actually the response, of, the response to the Lord here is not to be one of fear at all, but it's to be one of wonder and one of praise if we are trusting in him. Take a little look there at what verse 5 says. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The Lord hems us in. He hedges us, if you like. This is a picture that makes us think of being caught in an ambush of some sort. And, and were that to happen, the Lord surrounds his people with his protection, both before and behind. He protects us for all eternity. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? That the Lord does that for his people all around us. We have a shield and a protector. He has been right behind us and he will go right before us. And if that wasn't enough, this thought is amplified by that that wonderfully gentle and reassuring phrase in verse 5, that he has laid his hand upon me. Christian, your testimony is one where you can say the Lord has laid his hand upon you. The Lord has blessed you. He has kept you. He will keep you. And as I've mentioned a few times in recent weeks in the Psalms, such protection isn't necessarily physical. This is not saying that Christians don't suffer with illness or don't catch diseases. It is a terrible distortion of the scriptures when so-called preachers promise things like that. But what this is saying is that we can only find ultimate blessing and ultimate protection in God himself. He is the only one in whom we can truly rely and depend because We are mere mortals, aren't we? You and I know that we have no control over our own lives. We've got no control over the tense circumstances in our world this evening. So that means we don't put our trust in politicians, no matter what party they are. We don't put our confidence in economists and whatever the governor of the Bank of England says. We don't rely on the opinion of those military experts who are very well qualified, as helpful as all those people can be. No, we can only trust in the one who made this world, in the one true living God who will keep us safe for eternity. So let's underline that. This 
really is a real encouragement, brothers and sisters, because it means that the Lord is on our side. He is for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. What a comfort that is. We have known the Lord's hand upon us and continue to know that in his keeping care and his blessing on our lives, no matter the difficulties of our circumstances may be. And this personal knowledge of the all-knowing God, it is all of grace, isn't it? The discerning and favourable acts of the Lord who has searched us and knows us are truly gracious, aren't they? We know the, the all-knowing God and in him true blessing, true protection is found as we entrust ourselves to him alone. Because for us uh, living now, this side of the cross, unlike David, we know that all of this is, is known by us by grace, by a grace that justifies us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious work and person. Because it's at the cross where this truth of God being all-knowing is most supremely seen as God knowing all that would happen from before the dawn of time, planned and purposed through all of history that his son, Jesus Christ, would die on a hill outside Jerusalem for the sins of people like you and like me. He knew that would happen and he knew how it would happen, that it wouldn't come about by chance. And he knew that before you were even born, you would be listening this evening to this message of who he is and how you can know him. Friend, will you put your confidence in God this evening? Will you have your confidence in him as you go into this new week? Will you place your faith in Jesus Christ tonight that you might know the blessing of your sins forgiven and the protection of eternal safety in the life to come, even after you die. If you personally know the all-knowing God this evening through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your response to this incredible truth this evening is to be that of David here in verse 6, isn't it? He's full of praise. He's brimming with thanksgiving as he says there, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. This knowledge that God is all-knowing is, is beyond words. It is wonderful. The very thought of it is just too much. Such knowledge is wonderful because our God is awesome. This really is awe-inspiring, isn't it? This knowledge that God is all-knowing, it fills David, not with fear, but with wonder. Love and praise as here he breaks out in joyful praise at the thought of God's amazing, unrivaled knowledge. And so I wonder, brothers and sisters, are you filled with awe this evening at your God? Is such wonderful knowledge, does it mean that to you? Is this knowledge wonderful? As we go into a new week, let's be full of, of thanks and praise to our God that he sees all things. He knows all things. Let's be full of thanks that even though he knows the very worst about us, he still loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to die in our place that we might know life as it is meant to be lived in personal relationship with the one true living God who knows all things. Friend, if you don't know the reality of this yet, I want to say to you, don't be fearful. 
that this is who God is. Don't be afraid. But come this evening to the one who knows you, to the one who made you. Take this opportunity tonight to, to place your trust wholly in the one who knows you better than you will ever know yourself and come to know the gracious blessing of your sins forgiven and of the all-knowing God being with you and for you no matter what the future might hold. So God is all-knowing. That's the first truth that this psalm clearly shows us. And then the second truth is found in verses 7 to 12. And it's this. God is present everywhere. God is present everywhere. We'll see two more truths of who God really is next Sunday evening. But we've hopefully found some encouragement in the fact that God is all-knowing. And now let's see that God is present everywhere. David says in verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? By his spirit, the, the presence of God is everywhere. And it is because he is present everywhere. He can perceive all things in all places. There's absolutely nowhere in the whole universe where God is not found. So we read in Jeremiah 23 and verse 24, Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And that is very much what is also being said here in Psalm 139. Because in asking, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David is acknowledging that we human beings cannot hide from God. We cannot ever get away from him. God is present everywhere. There is nowhere in the whole universe where we can escape the presence of God. Whether it be in land or sea, in heaven or hell, God is always present. That's what we read in verses 8 and 9. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. It's all communicating to us that nothing, nobody can hide from the all-seeing eye of the all-knowing God because he's present everywhere. So whether we go to the highest heavens, whether we go down to the ocean floor or travel as fast as we can at the speed of light for as far as we can on the wings of the dawn until we can go no further, well, God will be there. There is no distance that can separate you from God. Think of the most remote place on earth. You can think of the middle of the Amazon rainforest, the middle of the Sahara, the depths of eastern Siberia where there's no lights or, or any kind of civilization. Well, you can go there if you want to and send us a postcard when you get there. But you can never travel far enough or fast enough to get away from God. God himself is present everywhere. His whole being is present in every part of space. And I appreciate that's very hard to imagine, isn't it? It certainly stretches the mind, but that is because God is God. God is by his very nature, different to us and to anything else in all creation. He's spirit, he's infinite, and we clearly are not infinite. And all of this is hammering home the point that God is not limited. His knowledge is not limited in a particular place because he is not limited to a particular place. He isn't a statue. 
He isn't confined to a temple. He's not like the man-made deities of then and now, like the so-called gods of the sea or the gods of the sky or the gods we saw on the television this week of the Prime Minister of India opening some temple to the Hindu gods that were carried in. He's not like these gods because his sovereignty extends right across the whole universe. So there is nowhere where we can flee from his presence. God is present everywhere. But here again is what we must remember. This is written by David. He is a believer in the Lord. And he's not saying all of this because he's trying to get away from the Lord. He's not trying to escape God. No, instead, he's declaring that God's presence is everywhere in order to sustain and to bless his children. What an encouragement that is for us this evening, brothers and sisters. The comfort for us tonight is that there is nowhere in the universe that God will not be present to care for you and to lead you and to hold you, believer, in his everlasting arms. And that's what verse 10 says. Even there, wherever we may be, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. In the words of one writer, this verse tells us that God's long arm is moved by love alone. I like that. God's long arm is, not, is moved by love alone. God's loving hand is, is everywhere to guide and to hold the believer. And maybe you just really need to hear that tonight, Christian. That's what you need to hear. The fact that we cannot ever be in a place where God is not found is an entirely positive truth for the people of God. He is ever present in all places with his people to guide us, to lead us, to bless us, to protect us. Isn't that so comforting? Doesn't that encourage you this evening? Brothers and sisters, that whoever you are and wherever you go this week, God will be there. God will be with you. Whether you're going to school tomorrow, or you're going to work, or you're in the office, or you're in the staff room, or even as you work from home on your own, or as you look after your children, or your grandchildren, or as you sit at home on your own for a while, or as you wrestle with your financial situation being very tight at the moment, or as you care for your loved ones who are going through times of suffering, or as you sit in the doctor's waiting room, or as you share with that friend of yours about the Lord Jesus and what he's done for you, or as you wait with uncertainty about what the future holds for you in your circumstances, God is with you. He's present everywhere. There is nowhere where God isn't near. Because by his Holy Spirit, he is everywhere. And that includes being with you and even living in you. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will guide you. He will hold you fast in all your circumstances. Doesn't that leave us wanting to know more of our God? Don't you want to trust yourself to him above all others this week? So encouraging, isn't it? It's a wonderful reason to praise our God this evening that he will hold you fast even in the darkest moments. See that there in verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's hand will be on his people. 
His hand will protect you wherever you might be. Even in the darkness, he will lead you safely on through. There's only light with God. And his light brightens up the darkness. So we can say with David, the psalmist, that the night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. We might yet still try and hide. Or we might think that the darkness that we're experiencing will mean that we are being kept from God. But, but he's present everywhere. And he is sovereign over his creation. And his eyes pierce the darkness. And his right hand will hold us fast. He'll do that for us now, today, and tomorrow, and he'll do that forever. And you can say that with certainty, Christian, because of these verses. And specifically, because of the detail of verse 8. Now, in my Bible, verse 8 says this. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. But that doesn't quite communicate the meaning of that phrase, which in other translations, maybe in your Bible, it says, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Now that word Sheol is an odd word, not a word that we would use much in our everyday conversation. It's a Hebrew word. It means the place of the dead. And the good, hope-filled news of the Lord Jesus Christ gives this phrase of verse 8 a much greater power, a fuller impact a new flavour, if you like, because of what he has done in great power. Hear the words of one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, in the first sermon of the Christian church in Acts 2, where he says in verse 24 that having been nailed to a cross for the sins of the world, Peter says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He goes on in verse 31, Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Friends, Christ has conquered the grave. And so that means that Sheol, the place of the dead, has for us become paradise, hasn't it? Because in Psalm 139, David exclaims, you are there. And when we read this in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we can say with Paul in Philippians 1, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that to depart is better by far. And so when we die, we don't escape the presence of God. That's the ultimate comfort to us this evening. If, if you decide to reject the Lord Jesus, by the way, in this life, then you will still know the presence of God for all eternity. You will know it in hell as he punishes you in wrath for your sinful rebellion. But you, Christian, you will know his loving, gracious favour for all eternity in the presence of your Lord and your Saviour, not because of anything you've done, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ and your simple faith in him. And he's there. Death's not the end. He will hold you fast for all eternity, today, tomorrow, and forever in his presence. And so as we close this evening... We have, on the one hand, two very, I hope, straightforward truths before us, stated with great clarity by the psalmist. Here they are. Here are two truths that we can state. And yet, on the other hand, they are two deeply profound truths that we'll never get to the bottom of, that God is all-knowing and that he is present everywhere. 
It's simple to say, but it's so profound. This is who our God is. And I hope that we've seen that they're not merely two truths that we just tick off and say we believe these things as part of having a biblical orthodox faith to agree to, but that they are truths that will drive us to him in praise, that they will lead us on with him in our walk with him this week to marvel at his greatness and to praise him in all of his wonder and all of his majesty and to sing as we have this evening, well, how great is our God. He really is all-powerful and he really is present everywhere. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ who has defeated death for us, we can say that we know this God for ourselves. So I wonder, friends, is this your God? Is this your God? Do you love him? Will you trust yourself to him again this week? Whatever it leads for you. Whatever comes your way, will you approach this week to come full of awe, full of wonder, as David was praising him, saying, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us in your words. Help us to have a right view of you. Uh, that we might live confidently, that we might uh, praise you for your goodness in holding us fast. Uh, Though you know all about us, you have yet loved us with such a deep, deep love. Father, these things are too wonderful. Uh, We do not have the words. And so we simply come with thankfulness. We come to praise you, that we can know you, uh, the one true living God who knows all things and is present everywhere through faith in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.